Welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. Here's your host, Brian Lemke. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the Deer Society Podcast. I'm Brian Lemke and today joined by Mike Ducart and JJ Ducart. Guys, I don't know about you, how about that song intro in this podcast here? <laughs> Gets you fired up. <laughs> Gets you fired up to do a podcast and go hunting. That's that's right. Well, <laughs> Deer Hunting Man is is out. If you haven't checked that out yet, check out Deer Hunting Man. Uh, it's all over Deer Society. Uh, you can find it on YouTube and uh, DeerHuntingMan.com. So that's pretty exciting. Definitely uh, jam to that on the way to the tree stand. It will uh, get you jacked up to, to set. And, uh, you know, it's that time of year. We're all excited. Uh, pre-rut's kind of kicking in here in Minnesota. Uh, we got snow, cold temperatures, bucks are moving, cameras are lighting up. And we're going to talk a lot today about calling, communication, and strategy right now this time of year what these deer society guys are doing, what we're doing, um, to try to communicate and up our odds in the tree this year. Um, and, and just this time of year. So guys, we've all been out in the tree stand. What, what have you been seeing so far? What's going on in, in the season? Well, I tagged out about 20 days ago, so I haven't seen much lately, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the cameras are really lighting up. Scrapes are just blowing up. A lot of new bucks showed up about a week ago, middle of October, and they're getting fired up. I mean, I know you've been actually hunting, which is you got more infield experience right now. But um, yeah, the cameras are just lighting up, and and these bucks are just about ready to get into the breeding phase, which we're going to hit this pre-rut stage coming up for about two weeks, and the calling, communication, opportunity during daylight paired with this weather front that that's hit us at least up here in minnesota is honestly pretty incredible um i don't like the snow but i'm sure the big bucks are gonna be moving and that's all that really matters so yeah you know as far as that goes every year is pretty consistent as far as you know the deer and what they're going to be doing and their behaviors and that type of thing Um, but you can have variables you know that are going to change some of that Um, and i'm talking more about the communication process than anything so like for the last few years this time of the year um the bucks start showing up you know the ones you're after your target buck starts showing up they'll even start to daylight a little bit you know and that can happen anywhere from that first up here now this is minnesota up here in southeast minnesota we consistently will see the first daylight and pictures of our target bucks right around that first frost or cold snap in the first week of october that's when they kind of make that showing, hey, I'm here, this is my place, and that's when we'll see them. Yeah, those are the bucks that were not around in the summer that are now moving back in. Yep, into that kind of a territory. So there's a consistency there. Now, as you start to move later on into October, you get in this, once again, remember, this is Minnesota, so southeast Minnesota. As you start to move into the second and the third week, people start getting fired up, you know? And it can be really warm in October, especially the first week, second week, third week, you know. And so it can go either way. And so that's going to have an impact on how they progress into their aggressiveness, into their behavior, that kind of thing. That's a consistent thing that we've seen year after year. So you get into that second week, now now the hunters are getting fired up, right? So we get fired up as hunters and we start getting aggressive and we start getting impatient and I think that's kind of a mistake that a lot of people make. You know what I mean? You 
can't hold, help yourself. You can't hold back. But then again, if you got it figured out and you got a pattern going and you're feeling confident and you're doing things right, you tag out like JJ does his first sit just about every year about that time. So, and then he starts seeing other bucks and he's, then he th second guesses himself, well, maybe if I would have waited, I could have got that one instead of this one, you know, and but that's just a game that we all play in our head. But so there, there's windows for all of this. And right now, where's our window today? It's been different this year than, like JJ said, than it has been the past few years. I remember a few years back when we were getting into this second, third, and last week in October. And last week is the glory week, obviously. The last week of October, first week, beginning of November, is the glory week. I mean, that's when it's going down. And that's consistent. Now, weather can impact that, though. Okay. There was years where it was 80 degrees. And so what's the deal with that? Well, you think they'd be running all day? No, they don't run all day. They'll run when it's more comfortable to them because it's too hot. They need water. You know, their behavior changes a little bit just because of the weather. That doesn't mean that they're not out thinking and doing the same thing. Breeding time. Where's the first hot doe? Boom, 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 boom. And if you get an estrus doe, they're going to run her if it's 90 degrees. It don't matter. But they're just not going to be maybe as active midday or late morning or, you know what I mean, with that hot weather, okay? Or they might not come out till late in the evening, you know, right before it gets dark because it's super hot, okay? So it's just the, the, the weather has that kind of an impact on it. Now, this year, and it's, gosh, I can't, can you remember a second week? third week in October when it got this cold with snow? I can't remember one. Yeah, not recently that I can remember here. Yeah, and it's changing the way they're acting. I feel like I hope we don't miss the calling pre-rut, and I hope it doesn't go into a late-season feeding pattern, but it almost feels like late season right now, and it's kind of throwing things out. But, yeah, the deer are moving midday on camera. It's in the 30s up here. Um, yeah, it's just kind of weird to try to wrap your head around what's going on. But typically – we always wait for that last week in October, uh, first week in November, and that's when calling is the most effective time of the year. I mean, that those two weeks, and, you know, your buddy Lance shot one two nights ago, was it? Rattled that one in, he said. Um, Andy Orr, he's been out filming. They rattled in a, a super mature buck. I don't know if he said it was eight or something like that. He texted me. So bucks are starting to make mistakes. Um, they've been getting ready for it, and calling is right now is the time. Yeah, and, and one thing that, that, you know, I've noticed that you guys always preach is to pay attention to what the deer are doing in the woods that time of year, and that's how you decide, you know, how you're going to try to communicate with them and, and how you're going to handle your calling. I've noticed on, on my cameras across the board, you're starting to see more bucks, but you're starting to see more bucks sparring. The other morning, I had four bucks in the same picture, you know, all, all sparring, you know, two different sets there. And I think, you know, that's just a, a an example of, look, deer starting to get fired up, you know, it's the weather, it's that time of year. So, you know, they become more responsive to that, you know? So, so like you said, now is a great time, um, to get the calls out and, and really communicate with them. And, and I want to stress too, and, and it's something that you, you stress is communicate with them. It's just, you're not just calling to call, you're not just calling at a deer, you know, there's a purpose behind it. Um, and, and there's always a strategy there and, it, and it's communication. So Mike, tell me right now, you know, what your mindset is. I know you're going to be, uh, out there this afternoon, you know, what's going through your head. How are you looking to communicate, uh, being out there this time of year right now? 
Oh, I'm glad you set it up that way because that's exactly where I want to go. Um, I set up about the weather. So what I've been doing is I've been watching how have the deer been reacting to what I've been doing out there, okay? I've been in some stands that are very vulnerable, okay? So the stand is close to an area where there's large volumes of deer come out. And I got to be able to try and get out of that stand without bumping them at night because it's kind of a pre-stage into, into the corn. Um, it's also by a scrape. So it's kind of a community um, staging area, if you will, where the deer will kind of flow through here. And I don't want to bump them because I, I don't want to bump the big boy. That's what I don't want to bump. But by spooking the big group, you could be bumping the big boy too. So... I've been really, really um, conservative on what I'm doing for calling. And then, of course, unfortunately, it's been cold. Cold snaps bring cold weather, which, tech, which can definitely bring in, um, you know, light winds. And you can hear in a cold, light wind, crisp day, you got to be, your volume is a, just a killer. I, I, I got hammered the other night by a doe because my volume was wrong. And I'll tell that story. So all these things I'm picking up right now is everything you guys talked about. They're not trying to crush each other. On the cameras, I'm seeing my target bucks come into these staging areas after they clear and just sitting there and staking it out saying, hey, I'm here. They're laying their scent in there, literally bedding down next to a scrape and hanging out for 45 minutes. Looking at the camera, are not my number one target buck that I'm after did that the other night, okay? So that's where I'm focused because he did the same thing last year. That was his area. Now, there was two target bucks hitting this up earlier, okay, after that first week in October. Both of them target bucks, all right? They were tolerable at that point. Now that's starting to go away. You're seeing your mid-range to small bucks are sparring, but your big bucks, the serious ones that want to actually be the breeder, they're not tolerating each other at this point today. That's done. And so one of those target bucks is no longer showing up in this area, and the other one is staking it out. And that's why he went and laid down by that scrape, because he knows that other buck's going there. He'll walk to that scrape, and he'll smell that scrape or that uh, licking branch, and he'll go, oh, Mr. Clean was here. And that's not cool. And then he'll get up aggressive in there and this and that. And then maybe Mr. Clean will come in and he'll say, oh, Blind 10's been here. Now I'm saying these are the names of the bucks, the two that I'm after. Um, Blind 10's been here. Okay. Eventually they're going to meet each other and they're going to figure this out. Who's got the pecking order? And they did. And guess who won? Blind 10. Okay. Now that doesn't mean Mr. Clean won't show up, but it means that that process has started. Now what does that mean? How do I call? Okay. Think about it. You're communicating. Think about that. Okay, do I want to be a couple mid-range bucks sparring? Because I know that's going on. Do I want to be a, the does aren't talking. And it's been weird. And I think that's because of the cold weather. Because typically I hear a lot of doe talk this time of year when they're kind of herded up. You know what I mean? Because they're starting to get anxious. They're starting to get anxiety. They're starting to get uh, hormones kicking in. They're pushing away their button bucks. They're... They're getting ready to breed. They know it's coming, and they get moody. I mean, 
I'm not going to say what I want to say about women getting moody with hormones, but I already said it. So that's happening right now, okay? And so that tells me this is starting to happen. This is starting to get close. But the big smart bucks, they're not going to chase them, okay? But that cold snap, I think, JJ, I think you nailed it. They're, they got to survive. Just because it's breeding season, whether it's hot or cold, that's going to impact. If it's super hot and it's breeding season coming in, they're not going to run around at 80, 90 degrees, okay? They're going to go to water. They're not going to be as active during the midday. Same thing if it gets cold. They got to eat. They got to get that coat prepared. They got to get that fat layer in. And so a lot of this interaction you know, that I'm not hearing, I think is because of that cold snap and they're more focused on the food. Okay. Now, let me tell you what happened my last two hunts, but maybe somebody else might want to step in here before I go another 30 minutes. Anybody got any comments on any of that? Well, you been seeing Jay or on the camera? I think you kind of nailed it there. When I was hunting more early October, saw a lot of sparring. I actually heard a lot of does and fawns uh, bleeding when they're running around. And yeah, I'm assuming haven't been out in the tree stand much the past week or two, but um, assuming light sparring is not happening, big bucks are really staking out their areas. And I mean, you can see the way they're, way they're hitting the scrapes too. I mean, they're just swollen necks, super aggressive, just trying to rip that branch right off that licking branch and they're not tolerating each other. So yeah, that's kind of what I've been seeing. You're kind of, you're just dead on with that. So yeah, so just a little foreshadowing before you start here, Mike. Uh, th- there's a situation my buddy is actually, I was on the phone with him on the way in here, and he's got a situation going on right now where he's got a big buck on his camera showed up yesterday, and he called me asking what to do. So I really want to talk about that at the end of the podcast um, and maybe get some advice for him. And then, you know, maybe next podcast we can actually see how that, that turned out, which would be pretty cool. Um, so that'll be coming up. But yeah, let's hear about what happened to you the other night, Mike. Okay, so now I have not had interaction with the big bucks yet. Okay, it's only been small bucks, does and fawns, and more staging bigger groups. So I've been seeing a lot of deer. And so my biggest focus right now going out into the stand was to get, you know, comfortable with being exposed to large amount of deer. So my scent control has been on steroids. I mean, I am making sure that I'm only wearing my uh, under layers one time and they're done. You know, and I got four pairs of them, so no problem. I got plenty of socks. So those that that's scent control. And I, I tell you what, I don't know, and I know it sounds like a commercial, but this year's phase is blowing my mind. And I'm going to tell you stuff that you're not going to believe, but it's the truth because it just happened, and I got it on film, and I'll prove it. So anyway, so the first day I go out and I sit in the stand, I'm trying to get acclimated, I'm trying to get the the tree arm in, this and that. I'm in an area where we, uh, Chris and I, um, overcut shooting lanes, okay? And it didn't look like we overcut because it was so thick when we were out there. But now that the leaves fell off, we way overcut. And so I'm looking and a scrape shows up directly in the shooting lane in the wide open at 18 yards from my stand. And... (laughs) I mean, I, you can't even move. I mean, you're afraid to blink. And these deer start working out in the area where they're feeding in a little bit of food, there's some does, I can kind of see them. And all of a sudden, I hear this directly downwind where my wind was swirling out to this other. And I'm going, oh my God, I, you know, what happened? What happened? What happened? And I thought I got busted. 
it's my first day out there. I don't know. I thought maybe I overheated. I don't know, but she's picking up on something. And so this happens a couple times. Now I'm just locked like a statue, stone statue. Sure as heck, here comes a fawn walking out and feeding in the rye right by this scrape. And I'm locked down, and then I hear another blow back there. I'm like, well, that's mom. I know that. And I can't move. I can't do nothing. We're talking about 18, 20 yards away, and I can't see this deer. And then all of a sudden, here she come, walking out in the mid-open. So she picked up on something. I don't know what the heck it was. If it was a blob, if it was a mass, if she smelled rubber, if she smelled what. She absolutely did not smell a human. because She walked out directly downwind, went out in the open with her fawn, checked out the scrape, did a little grazing, and moseyed off again. Okay, But she circled around me like two times. Went out way back behind, trying to figure out what's going on. So never looked up at the stand. So I'm saying she picked up on a weird odor. I'm guessing it was something on, the, on my camera bag or something like that. Because I don't leave my camera set outside, you know. It, but something happened, okay. She didn't know it was a human. She didn't pick up on that. I could have killed the deer. It wouldn't have been a big deal. So that's my first experience. So now I'm like, okay, I'm in super stealth mode, Okay. So not only am I super scent control mode, because that really frustrated me. And I went back and I thought, what could she have picked up on? And obviously I addressed it. Because my next sit, what happened is I go out, and these are days where we're talking about one and two mile an hour winds. I mean, brutal. You don't even have a wind when it's that light, because it's going to get in there and it's going to swirl, and your thermals are always at the night and in the morning. So that wind's going to go wherever the heck it wants to go, and you, there's no way you can predict it going into the stand other than the general direction you hope, okay? So I get in the football field stand. I'm sitting there, same thing, you know, everything's calm, everything's... Well, I look out, I see these does in the food plot, that's about 80 yards away, and they scatter. So I'm thinking, all right, here's what's going on. A buck's pushing them around. So the does scatter... What I do is I started out, actually, with a little bit of rattling early on in the stand, you know, a little tickling, because I didn't bring this up. The, the, the other sit, after that doe cleared and the other deer came in, a couple of bucks came within about 40 yards of me right on the other side of the creek with the tree line, and they literally sat there and sparred. And, and I'm, you know, I'm putting my camera away and everything, so it's starting to get dark, Right. So I'm, bag, I'm bagging up thing, and I drop something down below, and lucky it was this thrasher, tree thrasher, that I'm starting to experiment with to get a little bit more natural uh, ground noise. And so I drop it. It hits a branch and goes crack and goes shh, shh, like leaves. And then all of a sudden the deer stopped, and they looked up, and I froze. And then he went back to sparring again. I'm like, oh, cool. All right. So they just thought it was something natural. Well, that's a good thing. So this goes on, I, I get out of the stand. So now I'm in there the next day thinking, all right, a, a, a little to mid-range buck scared these deer out of that food plot that next day in the light wind. And so I had already rattled, thinking maybe he's going to come in here thinking there's some, you know, light rattling, other bucks. Maybe it's my target buck who did hit that scrape, by the way, um, where I was sitting. And I thought, maybe it's him. He'll come in and walk down the line. So I let the doe scatter. I pick up my deer call, and I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to blow it over here to this thicket where I want that buck to come around, okay? And remember, this is calm. 
And so I hit a couple grunts, just light grunts. Let me demonstrate them. I got a call sitting here. I just did this. So it's kind of a contact grunt with a little bit of emotion in it, something that you might hear with a, a younger buck that's around does, okay? And you, you've probably heard that. It's, it's a cadence thing. It's something you can kind of put into your mind. So when you're calling, do it that way. Well, here's the problem. The doe scattered, and one of the lead does, the big, you know, alpha doe, if you will, happened to move right into that thicket area, <clears throat> excuse me, where I was portraying that noise or pointing that call to. I didn't know she was standing there, and she was only about 35 to 40 yards away. So I took the call. I made a little bit of an emotional young grunt, and it was pointed right at her, and Boom, immediately blow. I'm going, oh my God, what the heck? So I thought she saw me. I thought she, I know she didn't like the call, right? I thought, oh, I blew this one up. I'm done. It's over. You know, so once again, you freeze like a stone statue. Let it play out. She blew two or three times. Then all of a sudden, I hear she stopped for a few minutes. And then all of a sudden, I hear some rustling. And this deer comes walking right out in the open trail where the scrape was that we're documenting with the camera, directly downwind. And this is no joke, one mile an hour wind. And, and with the night thermals, it shoved that, that scent right down to the trail. And I'm locked because now she's looking up at the stand, right? So I'm kind of guessing she might have seen this scenario before this is an old doe she's within 35 40 yards i blow a call directed right at her she's like how come there's a buck up in that tree i've seen this scenario before this is not good and she starts blowing she didn't know what was going on but she knew it was not what she wanted it wasn't normal i'm assuming she expected that she's experienced something like this before okay smart old doe she gets done with her blow sequence, comes out directly downwind. Why wouldn't she? She wants to know what the heck is this is, okay? It's not good. Walks out in that opening, walks right to the base of my stand. I mean, I'm talking a foot away. And calmly walk by through the corridor to the next food plot area. Within seconds, the other five does that were with her back into this timber came filing out one at a time, directly downwind. And I, I, I keep saying this because I've never experienced this before in my life. When a deer knows something's wrong, when she's trying to detect what you're doing, she knew you didn't call, that the call wasn't right, and yet you get, they stay calmed down enough to where you can shoot that deer? That's ridiculous, okay? So anyway, so the other five come out, and then first thing I did with the camera rolling, I just started chucking wind floors, you know? And so you'll see this, this will come out. So wind floaters are floating exactly where those deer were, landing right on the trail where they stepped on, and they all went within a yard. Okay, so I'm talking about my experience. I'm talking about second control. I'm talking a lot about, about a lot of things, but this is really about communicating. I'm getting data. I'm getting information, and I'm learning I can't be an aggressive caller, okay? I can't be an aggressive caller, and I don't want to get too crazy in these scenarios, especially especially when it's early where the bucks aren't really out 
moving around a lot and trying to stake out the territory where I'm at until later on in the evenings. So I don't want to do hard, nasty rattling this time of the year. It's going to blow the does out of there because they don't want nothing to do with it. They're not ready yet, okay? If I do a little tickling, it's probably not going to draw the does toward me. It might make them curious, but if I do some tickling, it might make another bigger buck in the area. So I'm not, I don't have a problem with tickling. I don't have a problem with light grunting. But by gosh, do not overcall volume-wise when it's calm out. That I learned big time in my last sit. All right, now let's go to the other day. No blind options because it rained and snowed all day long. Okay, it still had a little bit of flurry and a little bit of mist. We put up a ground blind. And the ground blind was on this food plot that we put out, which has now become a staging area where my target bucks have been visiting a scrape and they've daylighted here. Now the problem is, is this ground blinds tucked in right next to the uh, Egyptian wheat, which is 12 feet tall and the snow and rain pushed it down a little bit, but we got tucked in there and I thought, all right, well, let's give it a shot. Threw a bunch of pine brows around it. See what happened. We let the blinds sit out for what a day or two and get, and we sprayed it down good and, and all that. We tucked it in there that afternoon, and that night's, isn't that the night I went on? Yeah, I went in that night, okay? Snuck in. It's in a high human traffic area. In other words, there's human traffic within a couple hundred yards of where this food plot is. So they're used to some noise and things like that, okay? And they consistently still come out here and stage because once it gets dark, everything gets quiet and calm. So I'm sitting in here, it's rainy, it's this and that, and I can't be in an open stand because I can't film. I'm in the blind, I got the camera, and I'm thinking to myself, something comes in here on the other side of the plot, it's about a 70, 80 yards, they get halfway, it's going to be about 40, then they'll get into that 30 range on my side, which it kind of funnels that way, and I might get a shot at 30, 25 to 30 yards, that's kind of my goal. Okay, so the, the target buck is going to see the does out here. He's going to hit a scrape, and he's going to kind of migrate over toward where, where the uh, traffic was or is, okay, and I'll get that shot. I can't call because I'm sitting in a blind on the ground. It's calm. It's a light miss. I already know I can't call because right? of my last experiences. I'm not going to rattle in there. I'm not going to freak things out from coming in here. I want that deer flow. So tonight, I'm not calling. Okay, it doesn't make sense. Not out of a ground blind on the ground with no wind. Okay, when I know them deer are going to come here anyway. So that's a calling strategy is not to call. Okay, you got to think about that. Think about that. A calling strategy can be not to call. Right? That's a hard statement coming from a man who makes calls, but hey, that's just the, that's the way it works. Okay, you don't have to call every time to shoot a deer. So, let's progress through the day. It's probably an hour. I've been in the blind for two hours, okay? Once again, calm day, all my scents building up in this blind, and all of a sudden, I hear a little rustle, and I look over, and a doe comes walking out within 32 yards, okay? She didn't, she didn't come in where I expected her to on the other end of the plot. She came in right by me. Walks out, the fawn comes out, she looks up, sees the blind, 
looks back down and starts feeding. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, don't catch my wind. Don't catch my wind, you know, because it's all thermal. Don't catch my wind, you know. And she sat there and she fed and I filmed her and this and that. Wasn't paying any attention to the blind and just started feeding out. And I mean, within two minutes, I was covered up with 10 deer in this plot. It was crazy. I was just covered up. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Who's going to flag? Who's going to blow? What's going to happen? I got all this scent trapped in this blind. I know it's leaking out. I know it's swirling. What's going to happen here? One of them's going to blow up and get out of there. And I hope it happens soon because then the buck could come in later. Not one of them picked up on me. It was crazy. So that's why I just keep going back to this phase is blowing my mind. All right. So I'm waiting it out, waiting it out. They finally cleared out, and I'm having deer within 25 yards kind of sifting their way through, and I know they're going to the corn, okay? And I'm waiting. I'm thinking to myself, I'm killing a buck because this the tail end of the storm. That thing's going to come walking out, and he's going to walk right where those does exited and go right to that corn. My strategy is not to call, okay? And I'm going to let him walk through and kill. It didn't happen. It got dark too soon, Okay. So one thing about sitting in a blind, and keep this in mind, you'll lose your pin before you lose camera light. And it's usually the opposite up in a tree stand. So if you're a filmer, you'll lose your camera light before you lose your pin light. So it flip-flops when you get into a blind, and that's what happened to me there. Now, I couldn't hunt yesterday because it rained all day long. It's been raining and snowing all day today. Tonight, I'm going out, and I got a win. I have to talk to JJ about it, but I'm going to go to the open spot I'm thinking right on the corner of that corn because I know these deer are now going to the corn because of the long multi-day cold stretch and we're seeing them go feed but we're not seeing them up and running around a lot the big bucks haven't showed up the last few days it's kind of weird they've I think they're hunkered down so from a strategy of uh, uh, what we're going to do uh, Calling-wise, I'm going to take it based off of what I get. How much wind am I going to have? Um, am I going to do some sparring? Are the does going to show up? Um, is stuff going to get downwind to me? I don't know. So i got to take it a day at a time. Well, <clears throat> let's, let's generalize it a little bit here. So understanding that we're getting into the pre-rut, um, say you have a day with, with a little bit of wind and, and you know, you're not – going to be covered up with deer you're thinking um what would your approach maybe you can demonstrate a little bit um on what your calling would be like during this pre-rut phase and then let's go into after that how that changes as the weeks go on here as you get into more of like first week in november the breeding stage things like that so what kind of you'd be thinking to do now versus what you might do in a, in a couple weeks okay first thing i'm going to do um from a calling now i'm still going to be conservative Okay, because they're not going crazy. I haven't even seen the little bucks chasing much, to be honest with you. I'm just seeing that the females are getting agitated. They're kicking off their button bucks. They're, they're definitely getting agitated. Okay, that I'm definitely seeing. So if I did a little bit of uh, doe bleats, what I would do would be to try and mimic the um, alpha doe, if you will. And she'll do assembly. She'll do... Uh, it's going to be a little bit lower pitch because the alpha doe is a little bit older. She's going to have a little bit deeper um, sound to her. So I'm going to run it down lower than the fawn, and I'm going to do like a, just just a, a 
a dough bleep, basically, kind of a. Okay, it's about that. That's about all there is to it. And the fact that I start out with a louder part of the dough and you hear it go down, ow, that's a non-emotional um, verbalization. Okay, that there's not emotion in that. It's just saying, ow, ow. It'd just be like a normal, you know, verbal that, you know, I'm a little agitated, I'm talking now, I'm assembling, whatever it is, I'm here. You know what I mean? And if I did that a different way, it would be saying something different. And I'm not going to do that now because I'm not, if I'm a doe, I'm not in heat yet. If I was a doe in heat, which I'll be doing next week, okay, I'll start playing some with some of that. It'll be more emotional. It'll sound like this. And it's going up. And you can make an yeah, you can do it smooth. You can do a little, I did a little bit of garbage in there. I changed it. But that has to do with how well you control your call. If you can't control your call well, if you just do this. Okay, it's going, that's more emotional. Okay, if you elongate it out, that last week in October, first week in November, now you're breeding. You're actually breeding. And that's more of a, Okay, that's a longer moaning kind of uh, emotional type thing. Okay, and you can play the fluctuations based off of what you hear out there. If it's a consistent fluctuation, like I'll, do, I'll even move it up a little bit when it gets closer to the rut when they're actually breeding, because then your younger does are doing it, and a younger doe probably doesn't know as much as an older doe because the older does don't have to really call and say, you know, hey, because they know what's going on. They'll probably go right to the, you know, the quarterback. They're not going to be doing a lot of calling. They don't have to look for that buck to breed them. But the younger does don't know quite as much. So I might do a little younger doe and do go. Something like that. It's easier to control, you know what I mean? And it shows vulnerability, okay? So now you can get a mid-range buck from a three-and-a-half-year-old to a four-and-a-half to whatever it is. If a buck's not locked down, it'd be searching, you know? So how about what's your feeling on, um, you know, something I, I like to do, especially during that kind of breeding phase when when bucks are really actively searching for, for a, a hot doe, um, kind of creating that uh, lack of better terms creating that illusion that there's there's a buck chasing or bucks chasing a hot doe and, and with the extinguisher that's one of the gr great things about it is it's so easy to slide that thing and and go from a doe bleat to a buck you know and, and so you have your doe bleat you know in this kind of in distress or showing a not in distress but showing you know that emotion and then boom right down to a buck ground like he's chasing her yeah, this is this is the kind of stuff that I love. Now, this is not JJ's game. JJ is a very conservative hunter. He would rather be a ghost, and it just creates some light illusion as needed at the time more so. I don't know how much do you cold call. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking about that. <clears throat> I think you know the next week or so, I would do. I would only call when I see a deer. 
try to gauge the reaction. Yep. You know, he's walking through, hitting a scrape. Then you can kind of see what he's thinking, who's around. Throw something out there that makes sense for that scenario to pull him in. I think in seven to ten days, you know, then I, I have no problem cold calling, blind calling. It depends on how close you are to the betting, too, which is kind of another topic to discuss. But, yeah, I think for another week or so, I think – Getting a visual on a deer before you call is huge, and then transition into. I mean, they start going crazy. They're running. They're going property to property, betting site to betting site. I don't think there's any reason why you can't blind call or cold call. Yeah, and the reason I brought that up is is because JJ is a conservative communicator, and I'm an aggressive communicator. Okay, so we're when we're talking about this, you're getting two opinions here, and. If you do something different than what we're talking about, that's fine. You know, it's it's your hunt. You do what you want. Do it best you can, but learn. And if you do get overly aggressive, which I tend to do like I did the other night, it backfires on you. Better back. I mean, learn from it, right? And so I'm in his mode right now. I'm not going to want to call here right now because I just know the cold weather shut down the communication and I don't want to be the only one out there acting like a fool. Hey, I got my deer and I'm yelling, running around and is using them. Now I'm talking and that's agitating them more than it is communicating and luring them and sounding natural. That's what I figured out these last few days. Cold snap. They're not talking. I need to shut up more. And I'm an aggressive caller, so I'm going to learn that pretty quick. Hey, this ain't working. Stop doing it, you know. And so I'm in exact same mode as he is. Now. With that being said, a few years ago, it was warm this time of year. Him and I were sitting in a tree stand, and I'm like, my brain's just going like crazy. And I'm thinking, ah, this growl and this roar and all this stuff and all this everybody's talking about. And I've heard it. I've heard it in different places. I'm like, I'm going to give that a try because what the heck? It's midday. It's warm. They're not going to move. So I'm doing this exact scenario you just set me up for. I'm coming in and I do a doe bleep. Okay. Actually, I started out with with a buck, uh, an aggressive young buck, like a two-year-old, how they would do. They would go in and they're they're in there chasing a doe and they're pushing her around and she doesn't want nothing to do with it. And they're doing a lot of quick grunting as they're pushing that deer. So it's kind of a Imagine that buck down there all worked up, all revved up, and it's a young buck, so he's just doing little light grunts as he's walking and kind of pushing this doe around, okay? And you can throw in some clicks. So he's just worked up. He's chasing this doe around, pushing her around. She's not having none of it. And maybe she does one of these kind of almost emotional responses, a younger doe, she'll go, like that, like she's sick of it or whatever, whatever reason she did that is an emotional doe bleat. And the only reason I threw it in there, because I'm trying to create the illusion that there's a small buck pushing a doe around. Not because I think the doe call is going to bring a big buck in. This is totally different. This is a, this is a conversation that's going on in a cold calling scenario. So now if there's a buck with an earshot, which I suspected there could be, because of cameras and things like that. And I kind of thought, well, maybe he's bedding on this backside of the knob down in this pine little patch. And if he's there, I'm going to piss him off and try and jump him out of his bed right before the magic hour. Okay. 
So I do that. JJ's in the tree with me, and I'm doing this. And I'm, and then I thought, you know what? I'm going to get frustrated with this thing and throw in a growl like this. Uh, this this buck is is frustrated with the doe, and so I'm doing this. And that wasn't a good growl. I can do it a lot better than that. But that that's what I did, okay? And all of a sudden, I feel the tree kind of like, it was kind of like fluttering. And, I, and I'm like, what the heck is that? And I look down, and he's laughing his ass off at me. I mean, he's just laughing, about ready to start crying. And I look down at him, and he's shaking his head like, you dummy. You know, what are you doing? Because, you know, you don't do that right? Especially on a calm day when it's 70. And I, this is no joke. Within 10 seconds, while we're kind of acknowledging each other and silent, all of a sudden I feel him grab my thigh and squeeze. And I know what that means. And at first I think he's joking. And then I see his face and I'm like, he's not joking. And then all of a sudden I grab my bow and all of a sudden I look back and here's that exact deer that I was trying to pull out of his bed, was actually bedded in that spot with an earshot. He heard it. As soon as he heard them growls along with at, at the second deal where the, the, you know, the buck is chasing the, the doe around, first I did the deal where, okay, I'm a buck, chasing the doe. Yep, acknowledge there's a doe here with a doe bleat. Gave it a little bit of time. Did it again about 10, 15 seconds later. The buck coming in a little more aggressive. Went that at him. And then, you know, and... Then I see JJ laughing. I look down at him, and then I kind of start laughing. And then all of a sudden, I feel the squeeze, and he sees that 10-point coming running in. I mean running in. And then I'm like, holy crap, you know, and I grab my bow, and I get it. And that thing circled around us, and then he started to leave. And then I hit him with a, a little bit light buck grunt. He came back in. He went through my shooting lane, what, two or three times? I was pulled back on him. I, I just still to this day don't know why I didn't release, but I never did. I'm like, you know what? You get a pass. You get a pass because he maybe it's because he fulfilled me. Maybe because I don't know. But and then JJ's like, because he's filming, you know. And but I never did kill that deer. So and I could have. Well, I can tell you if that happens to me, I'm not going to give him the pass this weekend. <laughs> but no, that that's great. Well, uh, let's let's kind of go into a, a real life situation here that's happening right now. Kind of interesting. Um, I, I had a buddy of mine uh, text me yesterday, and he's he's and this is this goes to the beauty of trail cameras and Intel right now too. And he's got a couple reveals out which are cell cameras, and um, he had this buck show up. Um, that he knew that it was on the neighbors kind of all summer. And this is a mature deer. It's probably a, a five or six year old deer. And actually it's a, it's a big six pointer. It's a giant six pointer. That's all he is, but just a mature gnarly deer. And, uh, long story short, he's got cameras on this big ridge top, And that deer showed up over there yesterday morning at six o'clock, then eight 30 in the morning, then nine 30 in the morning. And then I think 10 30 in the morning. Like 40, just there, back and forth, back and forth. And he said, well, what do you think? I said, well, that's a situation, understanding the weather, understanding this time of year. I said, well, if it were me, I would get in there right now. Like I, I would, that's, that's this time of year. My, my strategy would be to dive in there right now. And he was working, so he couldn't get in there. 
Well, sure enough, that deer came by at like 5.30 again last night. Boom, he was there. Doesn't have a stand hung there, but, you know, he was going to go and try to hang and hunt or use a climber or, or whatever it was. So now fast forward to this morning. Boom, deer shows back up. 6 o'clock, 7.30 again on this same ridge. He said, now, his, his big question was, well, do I go in there? Is he going to be there? Uh, you know, he just showed up there, you know, yesterday for the first time. I know he's been across the road and he's trying to gauge, should I hunt the outskirts of it? Should I dive right in? You know, what should I do? Should I go and try to hang and hunt? My advice for him was to go. We, we have great weather right now. We have some wind. We have kind of rain, snow, nasty weather. My advice to him was go in there, hang a stand and hunt it. And my thinking there was not if you don't kill him tonight, it's a ridge system that deer's there for a reason now. You should have hopefully an opportunity at him in the coming days. So think about that. If you go and hunt the, the outskirts now, well, say you, you have a chance there, but you're in the same position tomorrow. You're in the same position the next day. You have the weather, go in there, uh, uh, hang a stand and hunt it. JJ, what do you think your uh, approach would be uh, if you had kind of that, that circumstance? kind of really depends on the small details there i think you know without knowing how big the property is and stuff too how how it lays out if there's a spot he can get into where he's not crossing the path of the deer especially on a heavy windy day or rain or snow or whatever's going on has the wind blowing away from where he think that deer travels yeah i think you could slide in there pop up a stand um and even if he doesn't shoot it you know that day as long as he's not crossing all over where the deer is, educating him, I think he could get a few different hunts out of that spot. So kind of just depends, you know, where is the tree? Is yeah, it I mean, on what, this side of the deer's pattern, this side of the, you know, wind direction? Wind direction. So without seeing why, it, yeah, it's kind of tough to really know Why exactly, is he showing but, up there? Is he showing up there on that because it's a certain wind? Here, here's what I think. And I, I'm not sure. I'm not super familiar with the property. I, I looked at it from an aerial, and I think that uh, – I, I, it's a new property for him too. So like, this is his first year on it. He hung a camera there early because it was a, it was this kind of top ridge system. And he thought, man, I got to get a camera in here because I don't want to go back in here. That's why I put a cell camera there, but it could be good. It's a great cruising spot for a buck to cruise during the rut, you know, to, to, to look for does. And, you know, that was his thing too, is why is this deer? I mean, I, I don't have any pictures of him. Why is he just showing up now? My opinion on this is, and it, it goes to all mature deer. I think these mature, big mature bucks that have been around and through several breeding seasons, I think that they will typically this time of year do relatively the same thing. It's just like you're saying with blind tenants exactly. and those shooter bucks. They're smart enough to know where those spots are going to be where those first does come in. I have a similar circumstance with one of my properties going on right now too. Those mature bucks, they're not going to work super hard. They know where those first does are going to come in. The most mature dominant bucks are going to get the first does that come in. So they're going to put themselves there this time of year. And, and that was my thinking and my advice to him saying, look, throw out everything else that you've learned you know, so far this year. Take your, your most recent intel right now. That's a mature buck. And I think that he's got an opportunity to take advantage of that right now because I think, I mean, we know within the next week, 10 days, the first doe is going to come in. And those big mature bucks pay attention to that even from years prior because they know from history that that first doe 
is probably going to come in right there. And I think that's what that deer is doing. So that's why I said, get in there and try to take advantage of it right now, because he could breed that doe and then boom, he's gone and he's three properties over. Um, so there's a lot of variables there, but that, that circumstance and, and just seeing that deer there and in the daylight, that's why cameras, you know, everybody says, well, cameras during the rut, you know, it, it's a free for all true, but during the pre-rut right now, um, you know, especially on scrapes, when these deer start showing up during the daylight, you have a, a small window to really capitalize on that right away. I, I, I got to agree with that. Um, general scenario and then i would try and break it down into more detailed you know so that i could even you know analyze it even more efficiently so like is that deer showing up on x wind um is that deer showing up on certain cold snaps is that deer what's that deer i try and add more to it if i can to see if i can find a little bit more of a behavioral pattern and absolutely, when you got this wetness and when you got the wind and even just heavy wind sometimes, getting in and doing something aggressive, you can get away with it as long as, like JJ said, you don't go between the deer and the shooting point. You know what I mean? And there's an old thing that stuck with me even before I became a real, uh, you know, more aggressive, or uh, I would say serious deer hunter. Um, an old guy said, yeah, you got to hunt uh east-west ridge hunt the west end of the east-west ridge you're gonna find a bucks cruising it you know and that stuck with me for a lot a lot, lot of years because it held true as throughout the years you know and you know is it does it have to be directly east-west ridge i don't know and the west end of the east-west west ridge i don't know but we've kind of taken that philosophy and we've seen some you know stuff there so that's stuck in my head you know, is this the East West Ridge? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think, I believe that he said, yeah, it kind of runs Northwest to Southeast. Yeah. So our best ridges have been that. And so that's why it's kind of stuck in my head. So yeah, I would absolutely, if he's running the ridges, looking for them does. Now, is this like a six-year-old deer? Is this like a three-year-old deer? I mean, this, what kind of deer is this? This is a mature deer. This is a mature deer. Yep, so the, the neighbors had pictures of him for, for quite a few years, and you look at this thing, and he's a, like I said, he's only a six-pointer, but this yep. is a cool deer, a deer that I would shoot all day long. Yep. Um, a, a really mature buck. Now, here's the interesting thing. His next question was, okay, if I get in there, you know, can, can slip in there. And again, it, it's it would be great to have more intel. Is he coming there on this wind? Is he, mm -hmm. what's but this is one of those small windows where deer just shows up, don't know a lot about it. I don't think he knows a ton about the property as much as he can. Um, so what he knows going in there is, you know, he's worked this ridge now. It, he, he scouted it out before, thinks it's a good spot, gets in the stand. Deer's probably pretty close, right? It's, it's not a huge section of timber, so probably within an earshot. There's not a lot of other deer, at least that he's getting pictures of in here, right? This deer's been by himself e each time. What would be going through your head from a calling strategy, knowing what you know, which is very limited information? Yeah. I mean, I would look at what the, I would take my experiences of what's been working and not working this last week. And I would apply that to this scenario and knowing the fact that this buck will not absolutely tolerate any competition if he's the big dog and he's already staked it out. I would try to, um, Use that to my advantage and piss him off. You know what I mean? Kind of like what, what, when I talked about the roar thing in this net, would I roar at this buck? I don't know about that because it's so cold and they're not really up 
in aggressive verbalizations, but would I do some tickling or would I do some, you know, young buck pretending like he's chasing a doe and throwing a doe bleed out there? Absolutely. That's the strategy that I would be using here. Maybe get him out of his bed with some tickling. Remember now you got you to strategize that from a timing perspective. If you're doing an evening hunt, tickle right about before, you know, you know they're in their bed, but they're thinking about, they might be waking up, they're, they're getting a little restless, you know, look at your windows, look at your pressures, look at your red moons, look at all that stuff, your wind. Yeah, he's probably going to move, he's probably going to do this and try and time it, you know, but I would be trying to upset that deer. Now, two weeks from now, I would become the horniest woman in the, in the timber. Okay, so that's what I would do. Well, we're getting really close to the first aggressive black rack battle. Yes, we are. (laughs) Yes, we are. Um, If it is a scenario, yeah, where he's not like right next to the bedding, man, they're going to respond to rattling. I'll tell you what about that. I think you can get past the sparring. I love it, it, Jay. Any day. I don't know. I don't, you can't really say like, oh, it's the 25th. You know, now they're going to respond to heavy rattling, rattling, but it's right around the 25th. <laughs> I don't know why. Right around that, right around this week is when things just, the light switch turns it on and tines are breaking on antlers. There and is a window of about a week to 10 days. Yeah, we've got about 10 days here. 10 to 14 days of, of rattling. Man, you, I mean, craziness. rattling. If you're in the woods without the ability to rattle, you're really putting yourself at a disadvantage. And I know when we were testing out the black rack, literally when we first started using it, uh, one morning I think we rattled in. It was the perfect, this time of the year. And it was cool. It was cold. It was frost. It wasn't even windy. And you could hear that rattling forever. And, I mean, we were laying into it. How many deer do we rattle in? It was like five or six, you know. I mean, I'm talking running in. Yep, and that can be that can be super exciting, and, and you know, I've had some experiences like that too. And, and a little piece of advice, you know, so, sometimes you'll go and you and you rattle, and 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 nothing will happen. And and other times you can rattle, and you can end up with five bucks underneath you in less than a minute. And you always hear this: well, when you rattle, you know, make sure you grab your bow and get ready. As much as that can mess with your head, sometimes. That, that is a true statement. Hit those black racks together, but then after you do that, put them down and, and, and get ready to at least have your bow in your hand because, you know, when it gets to this time of year and you rattle, those bucks can come quick. And if you're not ready, sometimes you can miss your opportunity. Yeah, one of my favorite things to do these next couple of weeks is actually start with the calling. You know, do a few contact runs, see if anything's close, give it some time that, you know, this is blind calling. Maybe try to bleed, go back to some grunts, and then just give it, you know, 20 minutes or something. Make sure anything really, really close has time to come in and, and react to it. And then, you know, grab the black racks. And the thing I have been doing more than a long rattling sequence lately, and I'm not going to demonstrate it because I'll blow the blow the mics oh, out here. But, down. Go ahead. Show them what you but can do. It's just super short, and it's just a slam. Just put them out here. I don't know if... And I'll do, and I like really calm days for this too, but it's just, and that's it. If you think about it, nobody else rattles like that. So for sure, that's not a human. You know, I hear other hunters rattle sometimes and it's, 
you can tell one or two a, minutes of just I mean, I've never heard it to where there's just a big slam in you know out in the wild when it hasn't been a real deer. And I feel like, and then and that also allows you to get your bow ready. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. you got five seconds of of hard rattling and and get ready. So they it's get, just something to try. Just change it up. I mean, more people right now are probably calling than any other time throughout the year. So just be realistic and try to think. You know, what has this deer heard? What's real for this time of the year? And kind of use your own judgment call on that. Yeah, I would say from a calling perspective with the deer call, uh, be as low volume as you can. And, and what JJ was setting up there, he says, I like to do a little calling first, because if you do have a deer close by, you know what I mean? And you just start hammering on the racks, you're going to run into the same scenario I ran into with that doe when I didn't know she was 35 yards away and I blew the call at her and it flipped her out, you know, negative reactions. So you don't want to do that. Grab them black racks and just bam, bam. Bam, you know, and that deer is only 35, 40 yards away. I mean, that would, he could be laying down somewhere that you're not seeing. And so I love that, you know, exactly what he said. And then we always, it's kind of our deal is we'll wait 20 to 30 minutes. That's kind of a number that we always do. Well, should we leave? Well, if we don't see a deer within 20 or 30 minutes, that's just kind of a window that we always kind of go by. And then we'll sit there and, oh, one showed up within 20 minutes. We've got to go add another 20, 30 minutes to it. So, I mean, that's just kind of a, you know, you're not in there calling and rattling and stuff all day long, you know, every two, three, four, five minutes. That, that's not the way deer act, you know, because they'll think of something. And then if they're, if they're you know, all of a sudden thinking about, oh, I heard rattling, you know, wait 20, 30 minutes, and they forget about it, and they go on to doing their own thing because they can't think of multiple things. They can't multitask with their brains. That's one thing we do know about deer, okay? So you always, if you can catch them off guard when they're not thinking or, you know, focused on you, you know, once again, that doe is focused on me. You don't want that, okay? That's why you give it that time. You give it that time to calm. Now, on the rattling perspective, I love what he was saying because he says, everybody gets out there and imagine back in the rattle bag day, everybody's out there with a rattle bag and they'd sit there and chee, 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 It's all the same thing. You know what I mean? And it's a consistent sound. So you could grab a pair of black racks or you could grab a whatever and you just do these. That's not normal. That's not what deer sound like. They don't do that. When they're sparring, they're going to come together and they're going to, you'll hear something come together. Then you kind of, what was that? And then you kind of, they're pushing each other. You know, they're not rams going like this and they're not shaking their head left and right all day. You know, that's not the cadence. What he did and what he's talking about is actual things that they'll do. So think that way. When them big bucks come together, Bam! You could hear it. You know what I mean? And it catches your attention. And in their minds, it's like when you're at the bar, okay, or you're at school and the fight breaks out and every guy fight. You know what a fight sounds like and it's an instinct. You can't help it because that's the way you're built. And so when you're in that mindset with the deer this time of year and you really sound like a, a real fight, and it's going to, that's why you get five deer come flying in. 
So creating that, um, once again, we'll be repetitive about it. Creating the illusion of what deer are actually doing is exactly what JJ just got done talking to you about. You know, he gave you the specific tactic and sound. You have to think about what they do. What does it sound like? What have you seen on camera? What have you heard on camera? What the real deer, okay? Not the tool. One thing I want to touch on before we are done here is, you know, we've talked a lot about blind calling um, because that's that's something that, that we do a lot to, you know, increase our odds this time of year. But let's talk a little bit about calling when you can see the animal. You know, that there there's always a... a, a I don't know what word to use it, but you know, you, you have a deer that's out there and you, you obviously want to bring them closer and you have, you know, a deer core, you have a black rack and it's like, okay, what exactly should I do with it? You know, how, how, how do you approach that when you can see the deer? Well, yeah, different stand locations have a big impact on what you can do with the call for sure. I mean, just to paint the picture of a couple of different scenarios, Let's say you're in a big wide open timber, you're sitting in a big black walnut, leaves are all gone, trees are straight, there's no horizontal limbs, and a deer 70 yards away with zero cover between you and the deer, and you need him to be under 30. Odds are you're not going to call that deer in. So there's no visual barrier between you and the deer, and specifically on the ground, you think about, you know, it's always different when you're up in your stand, you can see everywhere, and then once you get to the ground, things just completely change visually. Sometimes you get down and you can't see anywhere, whereas you're in the tree and you can see fields 30 yards away, trails, things like that. So know what that ground level looks like when you're calling. You know, and obviously we're trying to direct the sound down to the ground or in certain areas, so the thicker the better on ground level. And then you have scenarios where it's, let's say it's switchgrass field where it's five, six feet tall and, you know, a deer 70 yards out with a bunch of cedars and, you know, bushes and scrub and everything. I mean, that deer can't see anything. Or thick honeysuckle. Yeah, I mean, that, and like the Tunnel of Pain hunt we just released, perfect example, scenarios like that, that deer's 70 yards away now and you can call him, probably can get him within 30 and still communicate with him if, if the scenario is right. So, I mean, your tree stand set up and the environment you're in is like 100% um, a direct correlation to what you can do next with the call. So I'm going to add The on thicker to that. it is the better, um, as long as you can shoot. That's the other problem with the thick stuff. But then wind direction, uh, just relating to that scenario too. So thicker the better for calling, that's for sure. Absolutely, 100%. And let's add to that scenario. Um, I I would say the, the most important thing when it comes to calling, the most important thing when it comes to calling, and I'm going to say it again, controlling your volume. I kid you not. I mean, if you are out there, almost every single deer call and even the extinguisher, and you know, if we hear a consistent feedback of it, if people don't use the extinguisher, oh, it's not loud enough for me. Okay. It's not loud enough. It's not aggressive enough. Well, okay. It was designed so that it can't be too loud to blow the deer out in a scenario where JJ just talked about. You got a deer 50, 60, 70 yards in thick honeysuckle or in in, in a grass, and all of a sudden you come out and you hit a buck grunt that's 10 times louder than a deer, okay? 
I don't care what the scenario is. If your volume is way off whack, you just lost it before you started. I don't care how good a caller you are, how much you know about deer. I don't care about any of that. If you scream at that deer with the wrong volume, you're done before you even start. That's been going on for decades and decades. People have been overcalling to deer. Deer are so in tune to that from generation to generation to generation. And there's people that told us for I don't know how many years, you can't call deer. That calling, ah, calling don't work. It don't work. It don't work. I've watched professional TV shows and I've watched them call to a deer that was hung up and the deer turned and walked away. And I knew exactly what happened right there. The deer was looking at them. They pointed the call at the deer and they made a noise 10 times louder than deer would do at that proximity. And the deer faded off. And they can't figure out, well, he just didn't want it. No, you blew him out. You need to understand how important volume is. Now, volume does another thing too. It gives you control, okay? If I'm blowing low volume into a call, and this is on the buck grunt sound, I'll just put real light air into it. I'm barely putting air through this call. That sounds natural. Trust me, that's plenty loud on one of them days when I got that one mile an hour east wind. Plenty loud. In fact, anything louder than that, I'm probably going to blow the deer out. That's how loud that is. And it's not very loud. I'm cupping it. I'm choking it. I'm getting control. And so I know how that call works from a low volume perspective. That's more air. Now, if I get a little too excited, point it at that deer, you're done. Okay? Now, if it's a windy day and there's a deer 300 yards across an open field, I have absolutely called deer in at two, 300 across a wide open field. I've done it. Okay? And once in a while, you will point it at them and you will get that loud aggressiveness because... That's what it takes to catch their attention, okay? But then you do it in a way where it's not pointed at them and you put it in a place where you want them to go to. The directional calling that JJ brought up, is it's huge, okay? Deer have the ability with those big old flippy ears to pinpoint where a sound's coming from. So if you're pointing a sound directionally at that deer and they're paying attention to you and they're picking up on it, they know that it's coming from up in a tree. They know exactly where that thing's coming from. Try it sometime. Point the call down to the ground into a thick area that they can't see, just like JJ talked about. Okay, Down to a thicket behind you. Even if the deer's 40 yards in the open, if you keep the volume low enough and you direct it behind you and you put it to a thicket where you know that deer can't see, you can walk that deer to that exact spot. So it can be done. But that's the hardest thing to do, is to call one in the open. Now, if you're in thicket, then you can be way more aggressive. You can get away with the movement. You can get away with the manipulation. He doesn't know where the deer is coming from. Then this new product that we're working on and that working with or trying out, if you will, is the thrashing sound. And I'm playing around with a little bit of this too, is leaf rustling. Um, it's scraping. It's uh, uh, you know raking the, the rack on the tree. 
And you can kind of hear it. It's very, very subtle. And so you can play it different ways. You can play it, you know, like running. Or you can play it like scraping. You can scrape it on the wood. And there's just different things you can do to create a little bit more realism. Because remember, one thing I've learned when it comes to communicating with animals is it changes throughout the years. So what was working 10 years ago does not necessarily work today. And that's learning it from waterfall. Waterfall is changing so much. That's where I got my start. I used to call in the world championships. I used to be a guide. I had an outfitter for waterfall. And you talk about massive amount of understanding and communication. That I took that knowledge and that precision and I brought it into the deer world. And that's why the extinguishers are so successful. But it's just the communication piece of it. And those geese have changed so much. The things I used to teach when I first started with geese, I can't even do it anymore because they won't respond to it. They know it's not right. Okay, That's starting to happen in the communication world with whitetail as well. Rattlebags don't work anymore. Everybody had them. You know? It kind of worked its way through. And I'm telling you, you better be a smart and good caller understand the communication part and understand the volume piece and the behavioral part you know when we're talking about this that's what that's what we mean yeah and you were talking about directional calling too you can directionally rattle i know i rattled my buck in 2017 from behind my back light sparring and it sounds kind of goofy like why would you do that well it's because it deflected that volume and that sound 30 40 yards behind me so when i was trying to pull that deer I had the wind in my favor. I rattled behind my back. The sound, you know, made the deer think other bucks were not just 30, 40 yards away, but maybe 70 or 80 yards away. You know, it forced them to go downwind and, and provide a shot there too. So you can directionally rattle. I think, you know, the big thing kind of in summary is you got to fool their eyes, you got to fool their ears, and you got to fool their, their nose. So scent control, wind direction, fool their nose, um, eyes visually, how much cover do you have? Can they see you? Are they going to pinpoint your calling, rattling? And then and the ears, what do you sound like? What are they looking for? And that changes daily or weekly. So kind of work that through, that process through, and I think um, you just have more success. Stay, nat in, stay natural. I'll throw in just a couple more tips here as we're closing out. Um, we can talk on this for days, months, years. I mean, there's no end to communication. We didn't get near as detailed as I wanted to get. But we'll, let's do another one, you know. Let, let, let's, as we progress through this year, let's do another one because we'll, we'll talk about our experiences because there's no one thing you should or shouldn't do. It's all about understanding the deer, okay? It's truly be the best, have the best control over your calling system that you can get. That's a tip, okay? Keep your volume as low and controlled as you get because once you say it, you can't take it back. And if you overcall, you're done before you start, Okay? And the third tip, never call it a deer that's looking at you. Don't do it. Just don't do it. I'm not saying it couldn't possibly work in your favor, but my experience is it's going to work against you almost every single time. Well, 
Mike, you got to get phased up and get in the tree here. So we're going to cut this one short. We'll definitely do another podcast on calling. I don't think you need a lot of summary from me because you guys pretty much summarized everything we talked about. Uh, you know, get out there and, and like you guys said, have control over your calling system. And, and I think it helps to say, don't think about just calling at a deer, calling, you know, communicate with them, observe what's going on, learn from it, um, you know, and, and think about how you would communicate. Think about how we communicate as humans and think about how deer communicate with each other. And hopefully that makes you more successful. It's getting to be an exciting time of year. I have a feeling some deer society bucks are going to hit the, uh, hit the dirt here in the next week. So, uh, stay tuned. Definitely. If you're listening or watching on YouTube, subscribe, uh, check out the, the Deer Society app. It's free. Lots of cool new content coming. Um, you ho- hopefully be able to see some more deer. You, you saw JJ's on there. We, we're probably going to do a, a live hunt breakdown, mini breakdown on JJ's here coming up soon. Um, lots more good stuff coming. Download Deer Hunt Man. Put it on your playlist. Jam to that going out to the stand, uh, uh, this pre-rut and rut. And good luck out there in the woods. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.